You're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. Good morning, everyone. I am John, um, part of the leadership here this year. Uh, I'll be doing the, bi- doing the Bible reading this morning. Um, that reading is going to be taken from the book of Nehemiah, um, starting from chapter 2, from verse 1. If you've got your Bible with you, you can open, oh, I'm sure it's going to be right up there behind me. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the king of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, And if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of God was on me, the king granted my requests. Well, good morning. Good morning. So good to have you with us. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Josh. I have the privilege of being on staff here at the church, and I'm so excited to bring the message for this morning on Nehemiah. Um, Senior Pastor John Clark sends his love. He is preaching at Sunderland Vineyard this morning, um, all the way up north, so please pray for him as he goes. But he'll be back tonight as we launch, as Tom said, our new series on Philippians, to live is Christ, to die is gain. It's going to be incredible. For everyone that comes, we've got a, a gift, a scripture journal, so you can make notes. How exciting is that? Good, thank you. Some enthusiasm. So it's amazing to have you here, and if you're new, oh, by the way, how good was the cello this morning? So good, Kasha, remarkable. Um, We're in a series that we started a couple of weeks ago called Restore and Rebuild, journeying through the book of Nehemiah. And we recognize that right now in the season that we live in, we are in a season of significant brokenness, people's lives And minds and hearts are lying fragmented and fractured. People are hurting and lying in wreckage all across our city, 
and our nation. And so we're going on a journey of reimagining the future church and asking the question, what does it look like to rebuild and restore our city? That's what Nehemiah did in the book of Nehemiah that we're going to be journeying through over these next few weeks and months. But whilst he was building physical walls, we're called to build people and we're called to build church. We're in the business of rebuilding people, of serving people, of loving people, of inviting people to wholeness and freedom and encounter with Jesus and deliverance and, and yeah, wholeness that can only be found in Jesus. And so how can we as the church bring restoration and rebuilding in the season that we're in? And we're in chapter two of Nehemiah, so if you've missed it, let me catch you up to speed. The story of Nehemiah has begun. And chapter one, we basically get a, a behind-the-scenes view of Nehemiah's prayer life. He discovers really early on that his um, people are in peril, and the city that he loves, Jerusalem, is in absolute wreckage and rubble. It breaks his heart, and he senses that there is an assignment on his life to go back home and do something about it. In Nehemiah chapter 2, a little bit later on after what we read, Nehemiah says that God has placed an assignment on his heart to do this for the sake of the city. And my prayer this morning is that every single one of us would become awake to the assignment that God has placed in us for the sake of our city. They say that there are two most significant days of your life. The first one is the day you're born, and the second is the day you discover why you're born. And I pray that over these next few moments, some of us will become awake to the why of our lives. Too many Christians, I believe, sit on the sidelines of the faith and of life, become consumers Sunday Christians or cinema Christians, as I call them, who come to church, watch a movie, then go home, and it has no impact on their life. But I believe that followers of Jesus who live awake to purpose and know their identity and know their assignment are capable of changing the world. Let me give you an example of this from the New Testament. Paul. Paul was a man who knew who he was and knew what his assignment was. Let us read the first verse of Ephesians chapter 1. It's what it says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Let me just break that up for a moment. Paul, this is who I am. An apostle, this is what I do. Of Christ Jesus, this is who I do it for. By the will of God, this is my authority. To God's holy people, this is who I do it to. In Ephesus, and this is where I do it. Isn't that amazing? In this one sentence, Paul unpacks and shares everything about who he is and what he's living for. This is his identity and his sphere of influence and his assignment. And I want us to be like that in our time and in our generation. Now back to Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a man of remarkable vision and calling. His assignment weighed heavily on him. He knew who he was and what he was called to be. And church, I believe that what will change the world is when ordinary followers of Jesus like you and me become aware of the extraordinary assignment that God has placed upon our life. And if there's one takeaway that I want you to take away from this morning, it is this. You have an assignment. 
Turn to your neighbor and just say, neighbor, you have an assignment. You have an assignment. You have an assignment. If you want a title for this morning's message, it is simply, you have an assignment. Whoever you are, whatever your backstory, whatever your past or your failings or your personality or your cultural background, God loves you and he has a plan for your life. And I believe you are perfectly placed here and now for such a time as this to be part of God's rebuilding and restoring project in our city. And we need you as a church. We need you to get involved. Your assignment is, is on the top. Your name is on the top of your assignment, and we're waiting for you to sign up. So what does it look like for every single one of us to step into our assignment in greater measure, to say yes to the purposes of God? Well, I have a few lessons that I want to share from Nehemiah chapter 2. Because Nehemiah chapter 2 is a significant moment in the life of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 1, he, he hears about the, the peril and, and the pain of what's going on back home with his people and with his city. And then we see the rest of Nehemiah chapter 1, him praying and mourning and fasting and weeping. His heart is broken. It says he sits down and he prays and fasts and weeps. This pain, this anguish, this uh, mourning comes upon Nehemiah's life. And then Nehemiah chapter 2 is when the dream and the ache and the pain that occupies his heart moves into reality. It's when his anguish becomes his assignment. It's when his complaint becomes his calling. If you want to know what God is doing in your life, I'd ask you this question, what is your frustration? What's God breaking your heart for? What is your anguish? Because so often your anguish leads to your assignment. What you mourn for so often leads to your mandate. And so Nehemiah chapter 2 is the moment Nehemiah begins to do something about what is on his heart, his assignment, which is to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And the first lesson I want to draw out from the text is that in order to occupy our assignment, we have to prepare privately. Prepare privately. There is great power, guys, in preparing well. On the whole, I would say we live in a culture which doesn't love preparation. We live in an instant microwave culture where we want results right away without the grind, without the hard work, without the hours of dedication behind the scenes. I was reminded this week of, do you remember when Usain Bolt broke the world record um, and it was like nine, he'd run the 100 meters in 9.58 seconds. Wasn't that remarkable? A, a number of years ago. It made me think how many years of preparation got him ready for those 9.58 seconds. Thousands of hours of preparation, years of muscle memory and training and hard work and perseverance and pain got him ready for those 9.58 seconds when he went down in the history books. I would argue that everyone that has achieved something of remarkable significance in this life has been obsessed with preparing well. Do you know what my favorite bit of the whole Usain Bolt story is? He ate chicken nuggets the night before he won that. <laughs> you can prepare well, but still have space in your life for a bit of fun. And I wonder if that's what took him over the edge.
Everyone has achieved, that has achieved something of significance, remarkable significance, has been obsessed with preparing well with practice, with behind the scenes, secret, when no one else is looking, dedication. I want to suggest that following Jesus is similar to that. Too often we want to accomplish great things for God. We want to change the world. We want to be brilliant leaders. We want all of that God has for us in our future, we want it now, so often without building the hard yards of a secret life with God. But think of how many heroes of faith in the Bible went through long, hard years of preparation before their time came to change the world. Think of Jesus, 30 years in obscurity before his three years of ministry. Think of Moses, 40 years in the wilderness, one foot in front of the other. Think of Joseph, who spent 13 years in obscurity before he was raised to the highest level of government. Think of Abraham, 25 years waited. Now, Nehemiah chapter 1, as John has unpacked over these last couple of weeks, is a behind-the-scenes look at Nehemiah's prayer life. As I said, he discovers early on his home is in ruins, and it moves him. It breaks his heart. And we see this stunning prayer in Nehemiah chapter 1, and the and it's basically a call for God to move and for God to do something and for God to use Nehemiah for remarkable things. And the final verse of Nehemiah chapter 1, 11 says this, give me success today. Give me success today. There is an urgency in Nehemiah's prayer. Lord, I want to see breakthrough today. I'm impatient. Is that the bookshop? <laughs> Just FYI, guys, we have a bookshop. And it's amazing. There is an urgency in Nehemiah's prayer. He says this, give me success today. Lord, today I want to see breakthrough in my life. I want to see solutions. I am impatient for the kingdom of God to come today. I long to be used today. But the opening lines of Nehemiah chapter 2 tell us that for four months, nothing happens before Nehemiah chapter 2. It's like Four months later, dot, dot, dot. It says, in the month of Nisan, which is apparently early April, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, Artaxerxes, when wine was brought to him, I took wine and gave it to the king. The point is, between Nehemiah saying, Lord, I want breakthrough today, and Nehemiah chapter 2, when he steps into it, there is a gap. There is a pause. There are four months of waiting. And I was talking to someone this week about this message, and they said, Josh, what do you think Nehemiah was doing in those four months? And I said, I, I think he was just doing what he was doing in Nehemiah chapter one. I think he was praying and fasting and weeping and mourning, and most importantly, arguably, faithfully serving in the job that he had, which was being a cupbearer to the king, saying yes to simply what was in front of them, even though he knew that back home everything was falling apart. How many of you know that so often we want God to move today? We want God to bring breakthrough today. We want God to heal us today. We want the big things that maybe God has spoken to us about in our past to come to pass today. How many times have we prayed for breakthrough and healing and salvation and revival and provision and restoration? And we're like, God, today is the ideal day. I'm ready for it today. Would you bring it about today in my time? And God says, I want you to wait. 
God says, I want you to wait. Put your hands if you like waiting. It's the worst thing in the world, isn't it? It's the worst. I once went to Alton Towers as on a school trip, and um, I had to wait two and a half hours for every ride. I got on three rides. It's a disaster. None of us like waiting, particularly if you feel like Nehemiah, that God has spoken to you and called you to do something. You've got a vision for something, or you're longing for God to bring breakthrough and healing, and sometimes God is like, I want you to wait. Imagine how Nehemiah felt, knowing that his people are back home, struggling and suffering. The walls are in rubble. There's a a danger there. They need someone like Nehemiah, and yet his time had not yet come to do something about it. But I want to suggest that those four months of waiting and praying and fasting and mourning and faithfully continuing in his daily job were pivotal in preparing Nehemiah to step into what he was about to step into. I love this quote from a guy called Raymond Brown about Nehemiah. He said, the time he spent with God in those months multiplied those creative thoughts, provided new perspectives, and made him more prepared and composed than he ever would have thought possible. In the quiet place, faith was renewed in a God who knows the best time for everything. Believers constantly need to accept that behind life's frustrations lies a divine purpose. And let me say, the pauses in your life, church, are not punishments. They're preparation. They're preparation for what God is doing. Think of Paul in the jail in Philippians. We're going to unpack tonight. He says that to the the church in Philippians that God has used his imprisonment to advance the gospel. I don't know about you, but I'd be feeling pretty sorry for myself if I was in jail and uh, I'd think, man, well, God, maybe God's left me. Maybe God's abandoned me. But Paul had a perspective that God was still doing something even in that moment. Think of Jesus rising from the dead. His disciples are pumped and ready to go. And Jesus says, I want you to wait. And they waited for about six weeks before the Holy Spirit came. They waited. I wonder if how well we wait determines how fully we step into the promised land. How well we wait. And I wonder if you're in a season of waiting right now. Maybe you have a vision. You have a sense of something, a sense of a call or a frustration or a holy discontent or an ache or something you're mourning. And maybe God is just saying, wait. I want to encourage you this morning by saying the season that you are in, God is more committed to doing something in you than he is about doing something through you. God is preparing you for something new, something incredible, something exciting. And sometimes God doesn't work to our time frame. Sometimes God moves instantly. And we're going to pray for that in a little bit. We're going to pray for the instant, quick move of God that is just breakthrough. (coughs) Excuse me. In a moment, when the power of God comes and we get healed, sometimes that happens. But more often than not, I have discovered in my journey with Jesus, following God is slow and about waiting and about trusting and about one foot in front of the other. Let's continue. In Nehemiah. Verse 2 says this So the king asked me, and Nehemiah's doing his daily job, why does your face look so sad when you're not even ill? What's wrong with you, basically? 
And this can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. Highlight that. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what do you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven, underline that. And I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. The second lesson I want to share this morning about occupying our assignment is that we must take opportunities when they arise. Be ready for opportunities. Nehemiah, it was a normal day, and he was before the king. And the king, there was something that happened on this particular day for the king asked him a question. There's something different about you, Nehemiah. You look sad. What is going on behind the scenes? And Nehemiah thought, this is my moment. This is an opportunity where I'm going to step into it and see what God does. Church, if we are to rebuild and restore our city and bring hope to those around us that are struggling and perishing, I believe we have to be awake and alive to what God is doing. Do we have eyes to see where he's moving in our life? Do we have a sensitivity of spirit, like we're walking by the spirit, our ears are open to to people around us, to what God might be inviting us into? In the midst of normal life, in the midst of every day, nine to five at work, dropping kids off, picking kids up, going to the cinema, are we just like, I believe those moments are pregnant with possibilities for God to move and heaven to invade earth. Now, these opportunities are often subversive, surprising, and really simple. It could look like a conversation at the supermarket, an offer to pray at the school gates, opportunity to disengage from gossip at work, letting flatmates at university know that you're a Christian, inviting a neighbor to church. These opportunities present themselves And there are space in time where heaven can collide with earth in a moment. So often when we think of doing things for God, we think of the big, the spectacular, the the raising of the dead. But I think most of the time, for most of us, God's breakthroughs are small, surprising, and relatively simple. Just stepping outside of the boat in a moment and representing Jesus to a world that is broken and hurting. My daughter, Ivy, turned two this week, and um, Hannah and I, my wife, were reminiscing over the last couple of years and the birth, and um, birth was pretty tough for me, really, because, um, (laughs) you know, I wasn't really, it was COVID, I wasn't allowed in the room, so I had to go home and sleep and watch movies, it was a nightmare. Um, But when when I was in the room, I joke, I joke, when I was in in the room, um, we needed as much Jesus as possible. Um, we, we needed as much Jesus in the room as we could. So we had uh, a couple of amazing midwives and we had worship music playing and we were praying and we were just, I mean, it's, it, I mean, women, you, you know, it's remarkable. And um, we just needed as much Jesus in the room as possible. And Ivy came and, you know, we had conversations with the midwives about, you know, obviously we're Christians, we listen to music and worshiping and praying and stuff. But Ivy came and we thought nothing of it. And then 
I heard a story um, about a year later from someone in our church whose sister is a midwife who met our midwife. And I think they were just talking about faith and church. And um, I think this lady said, oh, you know, my sister goes to the vineyard. And our midwife said, do, you, do they know Josh and Hannah? And they think, oh, I think they do. And this lady, the, the mid, our midwife, who we've not even thought about for over a year, she said, I was so profoundly impacted by that birth, by that worship, by that atmosphere, that she started going to church. And honestly, the last thing on our minds was really... Um, sharing much faith. We, we, to us, we were pretty occupied and we weren't listening to worship music because it was fun. We were just desperate and we just needed God in the room. And yeah, uh, it was so encouraging to, to know that even in ordinary moments or extraordinary moments, simply just inviting Jesus into it has an impact on those around you. Amen. I think it's powerful. So this is, I want to encourage you to take opportunities. Now, let's continue the passage. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. Then, uh, this one, Nehemiah says, I was very much afraid. The literal translation is a terrible fear came over me. How many of you been in opportunities of destiny or moments where you think God is moving and felt afraid? I would argue that I've never been in a moment like that when I'm offering to pray for someone or I want to share my faith and not felt afraid. I think so often feeling afraid marks those moments of destiny. I've never run an alpha launch party or invited someone to follow Jesus and not felt afraid. I think fear on some level is a natural response and is an indicator that often what we're doing is the right thing. Courage is not an absence of fear. It's feeling the fear and stepping into the moment and the opportunity anyway. And then this, this is what Nehemiah did. He had an opportunity. He felt terrified, but then he spoke anyway. And he said this, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face look, not look sad when my city and my ancestors are buried, lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by the fire? The king said to me, what do you want? What happens next? Then I prayed to the God of heaven. And then I answered the king. Then I prayed. Then I prayed. My third lesson in rebuilding and restoring the world is that we must trust God. I wonder how many of our worries and anxieties and striving and pressure and burdens that we carry in life are because we, if we're deeply honest, don't trust God, that he is with us and for us and that he is good all the time. Before this big moment, Nehemiah stopped and he prayed and he gave it to God and then he talked. I spoke to the God of heaven. That is Nehemiah's favorite description of God. Chapter one, verse five, chapter two, verse four, chapter two, verse 20, he refers to God as the God of heaven. Why? Because it reminds him that God is over and above all things, that he is sovereign, that he is in control, that he is the God not just of the earth, but of the heavens. And if he can hang all the stars in place, surely he can help me in what I'm going through right now. Nehemiah, in a moment of fear, prayed and trusted the Lord. If we want to occupy our assignment, I believe we have to operate out of a place of dependence and desperation and emptiness. It's in the place of trust and faith that God moves in power. Prayer doesn't have to happen in a special room with special conditions. 
Nehemiah was a man who moved in great authority and did remarkable things, fulfilling the assignment to rebuild and restore the city. And for him, prayer looked like stopping in the middle of a conversation. I wonder how it played out. I wonder if the king asked him a question and he just went, wouldn't that be funny? Maybe he just did it in his head. So often that's what prayer looks like. If you struggle with prayer, I think this is a phenomenal picture of prayer. And as we unpack the rest of the story of Nehemiah, we'll see that his power and his drive came from a place of prayer. So Nehemiah prayed and he trusted God. And I believe that if we want to see our city restored and rebuilt church, we have to be a people who pray. I love this quote from Tyler Statton from Bridgetown Church. He says this, in an era of kingdom by productivity, in other words, doing stuff for God, he said, we want to be a people who say the church must not forget prayer. And here's the key. When we prioritize prayer in the church, we get kingdom in the city. When we prioritize prayer in the church, we get kingdom in the city. So we must prepare well. We must seize opportunities. We must trust God in prayer. And fourthly and finally, we must follow the favor. Nehemiah 2 verse 5 says this, if your servant has found favor in your sight, send me to rebuild the city. And then 2 verse 8 says, and because the gracious hand of God was on me, the king granted my request. Notice Nehemiah references favor with God and favor with man. Does that remind you of anyone? In Luke's gospel, Luke writes about Jesus, that Jesus grew in favor with God and man. And I want to suggest that we need to pay attention to where the favor of God and man is upon our life and follow that. I believe for every single one of us here this morning, God has placed favor on our lives and on the assignment we've been given and the people that you've called to reach. I want to encourage us to Follow the favor. Jesus demonstrated this when he sent out his disciples and he said, if people receive you, go with it. If you get rejected, shake the dust from your feet and move on to the next. Jesus himself said he only did what he saw the Father doing. And the question we want to ask is, Lord, where are you moving? What are you doing in our church and in our lives? Where's the favor? Where are you calling us to go? Are there opportunities? Are there people of peace? Are there doors that we're, we're trying to kick down that maybe are not right and doors that are just open over here that we are invited to step into? And we did this at the start of the pandemic. If you remember, we just asked, Lord, where are you moving? And he clearly spoke to our church, compassion. We pressed into compassion and launched a number of incredible ministries and multiplied everything we're doing. And thanks to your generosity, we've made a huge impact. So if we want to step into our assignment, we've got to ask the question, Lord, what are you doing in our lives? Where's the favor? Where are you moving? What are you inviting us into? And I don't really have time to unpack this now, but I think a fascinating principle of favor that we see in this passage is that favor comes through submission to authority. If he, 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 he didn't just say, all right, God's told me to do this. I'm going to crack on. I don't care what my leaders say. He took it to his boss and he said, this is what I want to do. And the boss, it pleased the king. Now, I do believe that the sovereign hand of God is over all things, but there is a sense in which we're not just cowboys doing our own thing. And there's a, that God has set up the, the favor ecosystem in some way to operate within authority and submission to 
leadership. So I think those are some keys. I'm aware of time, so I'm moving on. Those are some keys to stepping into our assignment, preparing well, following the favor, trusting God, stepping into opportunities as they arrive. And this was Nehemiah's assignment. So let me ask you a question this morning. What's your assignment? What has God put you on this earth for? What are you living for? Do you believe that God has a plan for you? And he's inviting you to step into his story and occupy, as Ephesians 2.10 says, the good works that God has prepared in advance for you. And I believe it could not be more important in this time that we all say yes to the things of God and his purpose and his vision for our lives. It's so important. It's important because firstly, it's obedience. So we just have to be obedient to Jesus because he's the king. Secondly, it's important because we all have a part to play. If, if one of us doesn't step into what God has for us, then something is going missing because you're so valuable. And then finally, how well we pursue the purposes of God and our assignment in this life has an impact into eternity. Has an impact into eternity. Now, just to finish before we move into ministry, I want to use a bit of an analogy to demonstrate this. Everyone see this rope? He said, yeehaw. <laughs> now, what I want you to do is I want you to imagine that this rope goes on forever. I want you to imagine that this rope goes on forever. Now, it's a long rope, but can you see that? It goes all the way over there. I want you to imagine that this rope goes on forever. I want you to imagine that it wraps around the world a million times. This rope is a picture of your existence. This is a picture of eternity. This rope goes on forever and ever and ever, and you exist forever and ever and ever. But this red part here, this represents your time here on earth. We have this fleeting moment here on earth. And then we have all of eternity, all of this forever and ever and ever to come. We have a few short years on earth and then we go and spend eternity somewhere else. This is your existence. And what blows my mind is that some of us, all we think about is this. All we think about is this part, we're, we're consumed with it. We're like, oh man, I can't wait for this little bit here. This bit where I'm gonna go on holiday. And it's gonna be amazing. I'm gonna work hard and save hard so I can really enjoy this tiny little bit here. We're consumed with it. We're thinking I'm gonna go travel. I know what I wanna do with my next few years. I'm gonna eat well, I'm gonna be comfortable during this part. And then it's like, but what about all of this? How we respond to Jesus in this life determines where we end up in the next. But what we do with our time here on earth, how we say yes to the purposes of God determines how we spend eternity, not where. The Bible teaches that what I do during this little red bit 
determines how I'm going to exist for millions and millions and millions of years forever. So I want to just challenge every single one of us, me included, particularly me, that I, want to, I don't want to spend this little red part trying to make myself as comfortable as possible, enjoying myself as much as I can, living as the king or queen of my own life. Whereas we've got an eternity to think of. I want to spend my life for the sake of the kingdom. I want to spend my life for the sake of Jesus. I want to spend my life for the sake of those in our city who are far from God, who need to come in. And one day we will stand before Jesus and we'll be held to account for how we have spent these fleeting few moments on earth. I don't know about you, but I want, him, I want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. So may we be a people who occupy our assignment just like Nehemiah and say yes to the things of God in our time. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to wholevineyard.co.uk forward slash connect. And stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church. Go to wholevineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.